Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, December 7th, 2023, the 1051st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So last night we were treated to, or maybe subjected to, the fourth GOP debate in the fake primary that for some reason is still happening. Now it looked like that was going to be the last real event of this fake GOP primary season before the Iowa caucus on January 15th. But just this afternoon, CNN has announced that they will actually be hosting two more debates in this fake GOP primary. One of those will be on January 10th at Drake University in Des Moines, and the other will be January 21st at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire before the New Hampshire primary. CNN, and one would assume the RNC, have set the standards for this debate, and it's basically that the candidates have to hit 10% in national polls or in polls among Iowa caucus goers or likely New Hampshire primary voters. That would essentially make certain that Chris Christie wouldn't be involved, at least in Iowa. Maybe he'll scrape it out in New Hampshire. I mean, again, say what you will about the polls. Totally on board. I understand polls are absurd. 
but that's what they're choosing to go by. And these are the numbers. As it stands right now, according to Real Clear Politics and their polling averages, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are the only candidates who would qualify in Iowa. And Nikki Haley and Chris Christie would be the only candidates who qualify in New Hampshire. But I can't imagine there's any way they're going to leave Ron DeSantis out of either of these debates. They will find a way to get Ron on the stage. It almost sounds like all of this is a setup to guarantee that Vivek Ramaswamy will not be on the debate stage in either circumstance, despite the fact that he is continuously making the biggest mark at these debates. Establishment media outlets and con Inc influencers and the like continue to tell us that Ron won all these debates. Some of them now are saying that Nikki wins these debates. But for the most part, throughout this entire cycle that has played out for three to four months now, Vivek Ramaswamy has been the person who everyone is talking about the next day. He is the only candidate that even seems like he is existing in reality. And we will get into some of that in a bit. But the Iowa caucus is on January 15th. The only opportunity for any of these people to change the trajectory of the race is that CNN debate. And of course, they would be overjoyed if they were able to just simply make it about Ron DeSantis versus Nikki Haley. The response immediately following will tell you who the establishment is going to try to push over the top in Iowa. They are both going to come out and try to have a moment that changes the race. Now, that debate is still five weeks away, and things are getting worse for all of these candidates. Nikki Haley is being given a push by the establishment, but it's not going anywhere. People are not buying it. They're not going to buy it. Nikki Haley is ridiculous. Do any of them have enough going for them to last the five weeks between right now and that debate without anything else to draw attention to them? These people are already completely lost in the shuffle. Most people did not watch the debate last night. All of it seems silly. Who knows if any of them can sustain themselves for the next five weeks. If they drop any further, this could be the last time we see some of these lucky contestants. Will any of them drop out before Iowa and endorse Donald Trump? That would obviously be the best move for all of them and for the country. But I don't think that we're going to see that. It seems like they're going to have to stay in there till the bitter, bitter end, just so that everyone can be quite certain that all of these people actually are losers. Maybe there's still a chance that the GOP will rig and steal the primaries in favor of a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley. But that possibility has seemed more and more remote because no one would really believe it. And again, in a world of selections, not elections, in a world where we can't trust that the results of the elections accurately reflect the will and intent of the voters in any way whatsoever, we have to understand elections as a piece of a larger narrative operation to justify to the people, the collective mind, that whoever is seizing power is doing so justifiably. And then, of course, so that people don't catch on to the fact that the same people have been in power the entire time, 
they create the controlled opposition dynamic to make it look like something entirely different is happening and that the people are choosing their representatives and not having those representatives chosen for them. If you want to rig and steal a GOP primary for Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, you need control over the apparatus, the election apparatus, and you need control over the communications and the narrative because you need people to believe that whoever you've rigged and stolen the election for could have actually won it. And Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and the rest of these Republican contestants have made that absolutely impossible to the point where you have to think there's at least some solid chance that that's what they're all there for. They exist to prove to the country that there is only one choice. And we discussed this a bit last week after Ron DeSantis debated California Governor Gavin Newsom. And I suggested that the American people were being shown something too extreme from one side and too extreme from the other side and rejecting both. They want the thing that is not represented. What is the thing not represented between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis? Well, a true anti-regime, anti-establishment option that knows what he's doing and can get things done on behalf of the American people. And Donald Trump is there to fill that role. We have sort of the same thing last night. On one side, you have Joe Biden and the future with another Joe Biden, quote unquote, presidency. And then you have the other option. Any of those four GOP establishment candidates. Ron DeSantis is at both, but everyone else is different. Despite that, we still have the same dichotomy set up. Uniparty right in Ron DeSantis versus Uniparty left in Gavin Newsom. Uniparty right in Ron and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy. And Uniparty left in Joe Biden. And of course, all of those candidates on stage were not only trying to separate themselves and their ideas from someone like Joe Biden and from the representative ideology of the Uniparty left. They're trying to draw that distinction and say, we are nothing like that thing you dislike, while also trying to create that same feeling in people when it comes to Donald Trump. So they have to describe Donald Trump in all of these bad ways and say, we are not that thing that you don't like. The problem is there aren't that many people still obsessed with their Trump hate. I'm not saying there are none. And I'm not saying that all of these people now love Donald Trump, but they at least understand that the real situation in the real world is more important than them having icky feelings about Donald Trump. Now, I want to go through some of this debate. And to be clear, this debate was another absolute disaster and shit show and made the Republican establishment look ridiculous again to the point where you think, are they trying to make the Republican establishment look ridiculous? It was that bad. And while standard issue villagers on X, formerly Twitter, spent last night and are spending today arguing about who won the debate. Oh, Ron DeSantis won the debate. No, Nikki Haley won the debate. And it all seems 
so shrill and so petty and so small and unimportant. The debate can go out shopping for a pair of cowboy boots and put three inch lifts in those boots, but the debate still seems small and irrelevant. The topics they discussed and the terms under which they discussed those topics were similar to standard fare on uniparty right podcasts for normies caught in an informational past talking about things the country has been talking about for five or six or seven or eight years. Everyone trying to let everyone else know they understand what the true internet podcast uniparty right conservative culture really is. And of course, it's those Twitter style arguments where someone says they have a certain point of view and then someone else cherry picks something they said like six years ago or something they did 15 years ago and says, oh, I don't know if we can trust you on this. It sounds like you've had two opinions in the course of your life about this thing and I can even prove it. Oh, you've been slammed. I win this debate. It's also mindless. None of them actually talk about how they could potentially wield power and achieve results for Americans. They just tell you what they are going to do as president, but they're not going to be president. And they talk about lots of things they know people want done. They say they're going to do those things, but they don't have any path to doing those things, much less any intent to do them. Why would they? They are part of the system people are rejecting. They're not going to do the thing that people want. They're just trying to be the person who the people could potentially believe wields legitimate power, even though that power would necessarily be illegitimate. I would argue that our election system as it exists today is incapable of producing a legitimate winner in the absence of thorough forensic audits where real votes are separated from fake votes and only real votes are counted in a way that is fully transparent to the public. And that includes a review of every step in the election process from voter registrations all the way through the results produced by voting machines. Until that point in time, there is no reason to consider any of these elections to be legitimate. They are trying to sell the public the possibility that the American people, at least Republicans in this case, could have chosen someone other than Donald Trump. That is the idea this spectacle is intended to sell, and it is not working at all. So let's get into some of this debate, and you'll see what I mean by spectacle. In fact, here is the introduction to the debate. Listen to how it is presented as a sporting event, and Megyn Kelly's first words are, it's game day in Alabama. She might as well be hosting ESPN on a Saturday morning and talking about college football. And if you want to get even weirder, Megyn Kelly was just the red carpet reporter for the premiere of that Daily Wire movie, Lady Ballers starring the entire cast of The Daily Wire. So Megyn Kelly was doing red carpet coverage for a Hollywood-style movie premiere of a movie made by The Daily Wire, written, directed, and starring the boss of The Daily Wire, 
Jeremy Boring, along with the entire cast of The Daily Wire. Megyn Kelly is basically Mario Lopez at this point. In Alabama, it's about tradition. Family. Faith. And college football. But on this night, the final showdown of the year moves to a new stage on America's newest cable news network. 40 days before the Iowa caucuses, millions of votes are still up for grabs. And four candidates are fighting for every last one of them. Who could catch fire and shock the political world? 2024 is do or die for us. We're not getting a mulligan on this. Governor Ron DeSantis. We have to have a new generational leader. Former Ambassador Nikki Haley. You're either pro-American or you're anti-American. That is the choice we face. Vivek Ramaswamy. We deserve better character in the White House. Former Governor Chris Christie. Live on News Nation. News for all America. The lights are on. The field is set. It's game day in Alabama. And who knows what the tide will roll in. Now, as someone who has watched probably a million billion football games, that's like any intro to any NFL holiday game, any NBA finals game. It actually sounds like the opening of an Olympic event. Which one of these four also rans? could catch fire, changing everything on the entire political landscape? Well, the answer is none of them. They're all losers. No one cares about these people. You have to be totally hooked into normie politics to think that this primary process is even real. It's absurd. But that's who all of this is supposed to appeal to. And hey, listen, perhaps that's a good thing. We're going to actually discuss that too. But for any of this to make sense at all, you have to believe that the television is telling you the truth about a whole lot of things the television is provably lying about and always has lied about. Again, they're only trying to convince the American people who watch this event that one of these people, these leaders, is so good relative to these other leaders that they are a better choice than Donald Trump. And that's just not what anyone out there is witnessing. Now, it's tough when analyzing these things and thinking about them to deal with the fact that all of this is so highly orchestrated and scripted. And Megyn Kelly, as she always does, has to make sure that everyone watching knows she's going to ask real hard tough questions to whoever she's interviewing. And if you don't understand that about her, she will eventually tell you in virtually everything she ever appears in. Oh, I ask the tough questions. I ask the tough questions. Well, okay, Megan. But if that's the case, how come you still haven't figured out stolen elections? But never mind that. Let's get into the debate. This is how Megan Kelly warmed things up with Ron DeSantis. One of you could wind up the leader of the free world. Having said that, 
Mr. Trump is nearly 50 points ahead of all of you in the national polls. 29 points ahead in Iowa, where the GOP caucuses are less than six weeks away. And so, as Republicans get ready to vote on whether any of you might be preferable to Mr. Trump, we begin with the question of electability. Governor DeSantis, your campaign and its super PAC have spent the most money, had the most high net worth donors, and had a wave of momentum coming into this race after your big re-election win in Florida. You were seen by many as the candidate most likely to consolidate the non-Trump field. But here we are, a month out from the first real votes, and you haven't managed to do it. In fact, Nikki Haley is beating you in New Hampshire and South Carolina now, and closing in on you in Iowa. Not to mention Trump, who is not only dominating in the early states, but is beating you in Florida by over 30 points. Is it fair to say, as Senator Tim Scott did when he dropped out, that voters are telling you not no, but not now? So we have a great uh, idea in America that the voters actually make these decisions, not pundits or pollsters. Uh, I'm sick of hearing about these polls because I remember those polls in November of 2022. They said there was going to be a big red wave. It was going to be monumental. And that crashed and burned. The one place it didn't crash and burn was in the state of Florida. They weren't predicting the, uh, that I would win the way I did, and I won the greatest Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. I'm looking forward to, to Iowa and New Hampshire. The voters are going to be able to speak, and we're going to earn this nomination. Now, that was like a slow-moving train wreck. It's amusing that Megyn Kelly reminds the audience at the venue and the audience at home that one of these four could wind up the leader of the free world. And then she takes about a minute explaining to Ron DeSantis how little chance he actually has to be successful in Iowa. And he just straight up says that he doesn't believe any of the polls and his proof for why the polls are not to be believed is that he won big in Florida and he was only supposed to win by about five points. And right in that, you can see the narrative effects because Democrats chose to run a man named Charlie Crist, who used to be a Republican in Florida. That was their choice. They didn't want to make a new Democrat star. They didn't want to go hard after Ron DeSantis, despite his status at the time as the leading the rising GOP star. They didn't want to create a new star of their own. They didn't want to make Florida a big contest, despite how close it was supposed to be. You know, that old purple state, Florida, the Democrats put up a candidate who was supposed to lose because Ron had to win that race. And the country by and large is rejecting the fake president and the agenda that goes along with him. The country is rejecting the woke stuff that Ron cannot stop talking about. In fact, he continues to say that Florida is where woke goes to die, even though Florida is really just where woke goes to hang out on vacation. Sure, it takes some time off there, but it still has a beach house. It lives in Florida. But Ron won big in Florida. That is Ron's argument for everything. He had a big win in his reelection as Florida governor in November of 2022. Therefore, he is the best equipped to take on Joe Biden. Doesn't make any sense. Ron DeSantis ended up with like a million and a half fewer votes than Donald Trump in the presidential election in 2020. So 
Two years later, Ron keeps bragging about how many people are moving into Florida because they love his policies so much. Florida is just straight up a hardcore red state now. But Ron DeSantis could not get the same amount of support as Donald Trump in his reelection. Imagine a Democrat had won Florida. Weren't Floridians scared of that? Weren't they champing at the bit to get Ron DeSantis reelected? Why didn't they turn out in even higher numbers than they did for Donald Trump two years earlier, despite so many more of them living in Florida? It's unexplainable. Ron is America's governor, we are told. He's supposed to be extraordinarily popular in Florida. In fact, he's bragging about it right there while having received fewer votes in Florida than Donald Trump did two years earlier. And then, of course, within the year after Ron's enormous victory in Florida, because he's turned Florida bright red, they still went and lost the mayoral race in Jacksonville. That mayor's office was flipped from Republican to Democrat. How does it happen? And we will get to Florida's elections in a little bit. But Ron just stood on that debate stage mocking the potential for a red wave in 2022. So when Ron talks about Florida's election integrity and how he has done a lot of things to fix Florida's elections, which we will hear about, one should wonder why he is mocking the idea of the red wave and claiming to have outperformed Republicans around the country while implicitly, if not explicitly stating and knowing that elections are stolen around the country. So Ron DeSantis is trying to elevate himself by bragging about fraudulent election results around the country and honestly in Florida. Could anyone imagine that as a winning argument? No, of course it's not. Megyn Kelly's question to Ron DeSantis essentially ended Ron DeSantis and his response was nowhere near adequate to make up for it. So five minutes later... Someone besides Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis was able to get involved and Vivek Ramaswamy came out swinging. Good people on this stage admitting you can come across as a bit of a know-it-all and rejecting the practice of personal insults. By debate number three, you called Nikki Haley corrupt, accused Ron DeSantis of wearing high heels and told Ambassador Haley she should keep a closer eye on her daughter. Can you see how this has led some to conclude you are not, in fact, a unifier and to question your authenticity? Megan, I think there's a time and place for everything. We need somebody in the White House who absolutely is going to be a fighter when it counts. And I did say that there were some good people on that stage in that third debate. Doug Bergen was on that stage at that time. And I'll say that jokingly. Ron DeSantis is a good person, too. I want to go back, though, to Nikki Haley's comment from earlier that she is somehow not responding to the will of these donors. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the UN. After you left the UN, you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. And when I said they were bought and paid for, I meant the Republican establishment, not the Democratic establishment. Now you have Reed Hoffman, the person who's effectively George Soros Jr., funding lawsuits across this country against 
Donald Trump to keep him off the ballot, funding left-wing causes. We discover this week that he is one of Nikki Haley's largest supporters. Larry Fink, the king of the woke industrial complex, the ESG movement, the CEO of BlackRock, the most powerful company in the world, now supporting Nikki Haley. And to say that doesn't affect her is false because it's after that meeting later that day that she says that every American needs to be doxxed by having their ID, their government-issued ID, tied to what they say on the Internet. So I think that this is far more corrupt than I even imagined when I entered politics. But I will say this. It is going to take a leader from the outside, with fresh legs, from the next generation to unite this country. Not the broken politicians who are puppets of the puppet masters, but the actual people in this country. Thomas Jefferson was 33 when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. I think it's going to take somebody whose best days in life are still ahead to see a country whose best days are ahead of itself. And I think I can reach that next generation better than anybody else in this race. So Nikki Haley responds about how she is proud of her work at Boeing and they left on good terms and they weren't bankrupt and didn't get rich off anything untoward. All of that is just a lie. Then Ron DeSantis comes in and talks about how Larry Fink of BlackRock, they're responsible for ESG. Vivek Ramaswamy wrote the book on this, but Ron DeSantis was the one who really put the brakes on it in Florida, and he's going to be able to go in as president and on day one, just end ESG. Now, I'm not sure what his plan on how to do this actually is. You can't tell from his website. You can go to the policy section on his website, and he has six policies listed. One is we win, they lose. That's his policy against the CCP. Mission first, that's ripping political agendas out of the military. Ron DeSantis stands with Israel. That's one of them. Stop the invasion is one of them. Farmers for DeSantis is apparently Ron DeSantis's policy here. Fueling American freedom. That's one of them. Okay. And a declaration for economic independence to stop Washington and save America. So maybe that's seven policies. So the only place I was able to find ESG is in Ron's Declaration of Economic Independence under a section with the subheading Ending Environmental, Social and Governance Standards and Political Engineering by Large Investors. DeSantis will not tolerate woke corporations using ESG as an end run around our constitutional system to impose heavy handed left wing edicts through concentrated private power. There will be no ideological litmus test for getting a loan, establishing a bank account or running a business. Now, does that cover all the bases? No, of course not. Not even close. And it doesn't tell you how he's going to accomplish any of that. Is there a legal basis for it or is he just going to wave a magic wand? Are we just supposed to believe it can happen through the force of Ron DeSantis's personality? Ron DeSantis' personality is now clearly just petty and whiny and annoying. But the problem with that mindset and the problem possessed by many of Ron's supporters who all exist in that controlled opposition dichotomy, happy to continue tickle fighting the uniparty left while the global agenda marches forward, the problem is that they all ultimately worship state power and think that everything can be accomplished through state power. They love systems of authority. They just hope that they are on the side dictating what happens. And that's why, as we've seen, they're happy enough 
to let the uniparty left win, because that at least allows them to maintain their position within the party of false decorum. If their side is able to seize power, oh, they become even more prominent. After Ron wraps it up, Vivek Ramaswamy jumps right back in and goes even harder on Nikki Haley. Well, I I did write that book, Ron, and the irony is Nikki Haley was heaping praise on me when I wrote that book, but now I worry I was warning about the woke industrial complex in this country as a warning. Apparently, she read it as a how-to manual, just like she reads George Orwell's books (laughs) as well. And so I think that that's actually far more dangerous than, this is really important for people to understand. We're marching towards fascism under Biden. Jack Smith has subpoenaed every last retweet that someone has issued from Donald Trump in the year 2020. The only person more fascist than the Biden regime now is Nikki Haley, who thinks the government should identify every one of those individuals with an ID. That is not freedom. That is fascism. And she should come nowhere near the levers of power, let alone the White House. I've got to get to. Now that is bringing it pretty hard. And Vivek Ramaswamy is right, by the way. If you are coordinating your political career with the likes of LinkedIn's Reid Hoffman, a Jeffrey Epstein associate, and Larry Fink of BlackRock, who funds the woke global enterprise, then you have tied your lot to two people who are intimately involved at a high level in the coordination of governments and corporations with those global governing bodies and the advancement of the global regime's agenda. That is an inescapable truth about taking money from those people. The joining of government with the corporations in order to consolidate power and direct how societies run, that's fascism. To the extent that Nikki Haley does represent the interests of Larry Fink or Reid Hoffman, That's the policy she's pursuing. That's the ideology she's pursuing. And the fact that she is an unrepentant warmonger and proponent of neocon foreign adventurism only makes that case more solid. Now, the audience was there to support Nikki Haley. She seemed to be the favorite throughout the night. And Vivek Ramaswamy, as he has become accustomed to doing, gets to play the villain again. Vivek Ramaswamy right there violated the rules of the party of false decorum. You are not allowed to call their prominent people out in public with accusations that are their accusations, the ones they use and they apply to other people. You cannot call a prominent member of the party of false decorum a fascist in public and you could hear the crowd reprimand him. Is it because he's wrong? No, it's because he's being rude. He's insulting someone with an R next to her name. They're supposed to be allies. It's also silly that establishment types really think the way to win in politics and to get people to come to your position is by playing the game as safely and inoffensively as possible. What people desire is authenticity and truth telling and the establishment types Just want people who go along to get along and will never say anything offensive. Failing to understand this makes any coherent political analysis of this age impossible. That era is dead and people who cling to it will find themselves continuously being proven wrong. But let's keep going with Chris Christie's entrance into the fray. Usually not somebody who gets missed, but okay, let's go. What's happening? (laughs) Okay, I got you. Uh, Listen, you endorsed Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. 
you gave him an A for his first term. Since then, however, you've turned on him, calling him a liar, a loser, a con man, and someone who cannot win. You've even said that you got into this race just to stop President Trump. His approval rating with Republicans is currently at 81%. Yours is at 25. Your best state is New Hampshire, and even there, two-thirds of GOP voters say they would be angry and disappointed if you won. Respectfully, Governor, you have not stopped, Mr. Trump, and voters may wonder how you could possibly become the nominee of a party that does not appear to like you very much. Yeah. Well, look, Megan, um, it's often very difficult to be the only person on the stage who's telling the truth and the only person who is taking on what needs to be taken on. I, I look at my watch now. We're 17 minutes into this debate, and except for your little speech in the beginning, we've had these three acting as if the race is between the four of us. The fifth guy, who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here, he's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls. And yet, I've got these three guys who are all seemingly to compete um, with, you know, Voldemort. He or shall not be named. They don't want to talk about it. The, the fact is that when you go and you say the truth about somebody who is a dictator, a bully, who has taken shots at everybody, whether they've given him great service or not over time, who dares to disagree with him, then I understand why the these three are timid to say anything about it. Maybe it's because they have future aspirations. Maybe those future aspirations are now, or maybe they're four years from now. But the fact of the matter is the truth needs to be told. And for us to go 17 minutes without discussing the guy who has all those gaudy numbers you talked about is ridiculous. I'm in this race because the truth needs to be spoken. So Chris Christie is a little miffed that it's been 17 minutes. He made sure to say twice, 17 minutes since the debate began before he gets to speak. And Megyn Kelly once again lays out how far ahead Donald Trump is by every possible measure, including popularity, an 81% approval rate in the Republican Party, Chris Christie at a 25% approval rate in the Republican Party. Chris Christie says the reason for that is because he's the only one on the stage telling the truth about Donald Trump. And so the Republican voters like him the least because he says the truth about Trump, who they like the most. Now, that is a fine excuse for Chris Christie to attempt to use. They hate me because I'm telling the truth about the person they actually like, you know, because these are cult members. But in reality, those people he's referring to as cult members, essentially, by saying that they like someone awful because they don't know the truth about that person. Those are the people who need to support him at some point. Otherwise, he's only there to say bad things about Donald Trump. And the truth is, he is only there to say bad things about Donald Trump. Now, whether that's on behalf of the regime or some mega donor who's supporting him, or if Chris Christie is like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy might well be, maybe Chris Christie is a kayfabe op. Maybe all of this is a pro-Trump red team op trying to burnish the image of Donald Trump by looking like everything the American people could never want. We have to extend at least that possibility to each and every one of these cases. If for no other reason, then beyond Vivek Ramaswamy, 
it is almost impossible to determine how these three could keep on going while their performance throughout this quote unquote primary process has destroyed all of their careers. Chris Christie talks about how they might be angling for a future role with Donald Trump. They might want his approval in the future. Well, how is that going to happen? And who needs these people? I am consistently confused about the supporters of any of these candidates who think that at some point Trump supporters are going to want to unite with them without them taking account for what it is they've actually done. All of them are supporting candidates who are trying to remove the duly elected president from the political picture in this country. And they are ignoring the most important fact about this situation, as all standard issue villagers do. They're ignoring the fact that there's no way Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. And so if they are attempting to win an election, they're attempting to win a rigged election. And they're ignoring the fact that the elections are rigged. So they want to win a rigged election under what? The promise that they are going to fix rigged elections after they use them to seize power? Again, no one's going to believe that. This is why these people sound small and petty and shrill. You can't just side with the regime on the priority of getting rid of Donald Trump after the country has been usurped and then just be like, well, I'm still a Republican. You guys have to accept me. That's not how it works now. The political environment has changed. These people are clueless as to what is going on around them. They can all go join the Lincoln Project. If the elections are made legitimate, then Donald Trump wins in an absolute landslide. And if the elections are not legitimate, then the results don't matter because the votes don't matter. Donald Trump said to Sean Hannity the other night that he believes he has 150 million supporters in this country. Now, does he know that to be true? It's hard to say. Is he exaggerating? It's hard to say. I do know this, though, as quote unquote, former president. Donald Trump had the best access to information in the world. Donald Trump never conceded. He certainly still has access to some level of intelligence. Knowing the level to which data is tracked and analyzed, it's certainly not impossible for people to know the true number on how many actual Trump supporters there are in the country. And I don't mean the exact number, but you could get a close approximation. Who knows? The point is, if the elections are legitimate, Donald Trump does not need their help. If the elections are illegitimate, then their help wouldn't matter regardless. Most of their supporters, to the extent that they exist, are not only Nikki or only Ron or only Chris Christie. There might be some only Vivek people who would flip to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but Ron and Nikki are both in the low double digits, occasionally in the single digits, and maybe 10 or 20% of their supporters might hate Donald Trump enough to stay away no matter what. The rest of them just want to move on from Trump and think that one of these two is the best choice. But when it is Trump, they will just come right back to Trump. So we have a very, very minute slice of Republican voters who might leave Donald Trump. That will be nowhere near the number of people who have woken up over the last three plus years already. And we're talking about something another 10 and a half months away. Their base of actual support is irrelevant. Their political power 
is irrelevant. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have virtually no political capital at this point. Chris Christie certainly has none. And Vivek Ramaswamy is kind of just a novelty. We'll have to see what happens with him in the future. But for real, all of these people can go join the Lincoln Project. All of Con Inc. Media can go support Liz Cheney. They don't matter at all. MAGA is a movement. These are irrelevant politicians. We are having a TV show broadcast to convince us that these are real contenders. These are people who can somehow contend with the MAGA movement as a whole. Though they have no movement themselves and virtually no support, the support they have is weak and passive, and somehow they are set up as legitimate competitors to Donald Trump and MAGA. It is preposterous. We don't need their help, and to that extent, we don't need to compromise with them. Now, after Chris Christie was finished complaining about not getting to speak for the first 17 minutes and then telling everyone that the reason he was so unpopular is because he's the only truth teller. Ron DeSantis was given another chance to shine. And then Chris Christie had his best moment of the year by clobbering Ron DeSantis. But I'd like to first get to some questions on Israel. Governor DeSantis, tonight as we speak, the war is back on in Gaza. Israeli tanks are on the move and have surrounded the home of the leader of Hamas. Eight Americans have been held hostage in the tunnels beneath Gaza for 60 days now. American troops and warships in the Middle East are under attack. How far would you go as president to secure the release of those eight American hostages? And would it include sending American forces into combat? Now, before we get to Ron's answer, it's important to note that what just happened there was this news lady from News Nation just repeated the central narrative on Israel. She tried to communicate for the public, this is what everyone knows to be true about Israel. And part of that was her saying that American troops and American ships in the Middle East were under attack. Is that really true? And I don't mean, can you find some isolated case to support this? Is it a truth about the world that American soldiers and ships are under attack in the Middle East? No, it really isn't. But let's go ahead and hear what Ron DeSantis has to say about what he would do to make sure these hostages were safe. We have to look out for our people when there are hostages. Commander in chief, you have to do whatever you can to get them done. But the overall issue with this is... This administration is trying to hobble Israel from being able to defend itself. They have a right to eliminate Hamas and win a total and complete victory so that they never have to deal with this again. Hamas wants nothing less than a second Holocaust. They would wipe off every single Jew off the map. They would destroy the state of Israel if we could. Joe Biden will say they support Israel, and then they do nothing but try to kneecap them every step of the way. You should not try to direct their war effort. We should work together with them so that they can bring Hamas to heel. Look, I served uh, in Iraq back in the day. Uh, I'm the only one running for president that served in the military. Uh, I understand that part of the world. Uh, it's not the best part of the world. Uh, we do have troops there that Biden is leaving basically as sitting ducks. And you have the Iranians that are attacking these troops. And he's responding with basically pinpricks. 
you harm an American service member, you're going to have hell to pay when I'm president. We are not going to let our troops be sitting ducks. We also need to look at what's the underlying problem here. Iran. Biden is doing nothing to bring Iran to account. You've got to turn the screws on them. Don't let them have any oil revenue. The money they get, they send to Hamas, they send to Hezbollah, and they foment jihad throughout the Middle East. So Biden has empowered Iran just like he's empowered other adversaries. We stand with Israel. They're our best ally in the Middle East. We have a unique relationship with them. Uh, and you will see a strong relationship when I'm the president of the United States. But would you Elizabeth, send Elizabeth, Elizabeth, look, this, this is the problem with the first three debates. Ron gets asked a question, and he doesn't answer it. Your question was very specific. You said, would you send American troops as commander-in-chief? And he went on to this minute and 30-second Hosanna about his knowledge of the military and what we need to do, and didn't answer your question. And he goes on, but his point is correct. Ron DeSantis was asked a question about American hostages, and he said, We would have to do whatever we could to get them back. But the real thing here is Israel needs to be able to do absolutely whatever they want. And we would not direct them. We're just here to support them because we have a unique relationship with them. And it's an interesting way to put that because we're told we also have that same special relationship with the UK. Gosh, what is that special relationship? But Ron wasn't done shilling. Check this out. Americans were killed in that attack. Americans were killed in that attack. And so if you if you looked at this terrorist attack and the number of Americans, this would be one of the top 10 terrorist attacks in American history. So our own people were killed in that attack. And I think it's absolutely appropriate to point that out and to say that we're in this together uh, and we are going to work with Israel so that these people are brought to justice. Ron DeSantis just basically said that Israel's 9-11 was one of our top 10 9-11s. Ron DeSantis is basically claiming that the October 7th incident was terrorism against America. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound presidential to me. Was whatever happened on October 7th in Israel a terrorist attack against America, much less one of the biggest terrorist attacks against America? I mean, can you really say that when today is the Pearl Harbor anniversary? And what about the fact that we were told the very violent insurrection was another one of our 9-11s? So they stayed on foreign policy for a bit. Nikki Haley told us about how Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan were all connected and we had to win in Ukraine because if we didn't, then China would take Taiwan. We had to win in Israel. Otherwise, Russia and Iran would destroy everything. And then Vivek began taunting the warmongers on stage, making fun of the fact that they probably were clueless about which provinces were being contested along the eastern third of what was formerly Ukraine, those independent regions. Vivek said he didn't believe Nikki Haley could find them on a map. Chris Christie had to rush in and white knight Nikki Haley. He had to protect Nikki Haley. This is a very smart and accomplished woman. But I mean, is she? Anyone who answers that question would simply say, well, she was governor of South Carolina and she was a U.N. ambassador. And if you care a lot about credentials, then maybe 
Those are good things. But the real questions are, how did she get the jobs and what did she do while she had them? Trump said in a speech the other day, he gave Nikki Haley her U.N. ambassadorship so that Henry McMaster could end up as governor of South Carolina. And if Nikki Haley spent her time in those positions serving corporate masters, as she seems to be happy to do now, then does that count as a smart and accomplished woman? Or is she just the neocon Kamala Harris? Here is Vivek Ramaswamy taking it to these people again. Take this. I'm going to take several times over. So first of all, I think we just learned something from Chris Christie. We learned three things. We learned three things right there. First of all, Chris Christie also doesn't know what provinces in eastern Ukraine he actually wants us to fight for. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage, enjoy a nice meal, and get the hell out of this race. When it comes to Nikki, I think if you're going to actually send your sons and daughters to go die in somebody else's war, excuse me, Chris, I'm speaking, and I'm not done yet. I haven't heard the time when you want to speak. And we're going to be done. So listen up to this. If these people want to send your sons and daughters to go die in Ukraine, they've been arguing for it for a year. $200 billion of our taxpayer money sent over, neither of them could even name for you the provinces that they actually want to protect. And this is the people who have been touting their so-called foreign policy experience. It is intellectual fraud. These people are lying to you, the same people who told you about weapons and mass destruction in Iraq to justify that invasion, didn't know the first thing about it, yet they sent thousands of our sons and daughters to go die. The same people who told you the same in Afghanistan, where the Taliban is still in charge 20 years later. Seven trillion of our national debt due to these toxic neocons. You could put lipstick on a Dick Cheney. It is still a fascist neocon. Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Now, I think that's going to ring true with most Americans who aren't all about going to war all around the world whenever the members of the Uniparty tell them it is necessary. Listening to Nikki Haley tell us how she's going to punch Iran and punch them hard doesn't do anything for anyone. All people hear is, oh, we're going to go to more wars. Why are we going to go to that war? We're going to go to war with Iran? We're already supporting Nazi battalions in Ukraine, and now we're about to fund this whole Israel thing. And they're also telling us that we have to go to war for Taiwan over semiconductors. Does anyone believe that average Americans think any of that is a good idea? Now, I know that the warmongering neocons and other very serious intellectuals will say that average Americans don't understand what peril they're in if they fail to act in these foreign wars. But of course, that's what they're going to say, because they would do absolutely anything to protect that global project. Their entire existence is pinned to that. But that's not where people are. People don't want another Dick Cheney. And Vivek Ramaswamy not only crushed Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie with that because they both stayed silent and made it clear they had no interest in insulting Dick Cheney or any other warmongering neocons. He also crushed Liz Cheney with it. And think about what that means for the former establishment powers within the GOP. They can no longer prevent their own names from being run through the mud by a candidate in the fake GOP primary. 
They want to have this primary and try to take out Donald Trump. Well, now they've allowed this guy, Vivek Ramaswamy, to come in here and take out all of them. Vivek even had one moment that topped that off. We'll get to that in just a second. But Ron DeSantis actually talked about election integrity in Florida last night. And I am certain that his supporters thought he gave a very strong response. Unfortunately, for anyone who actually knows anything about election integrity, the response was sorely lacking. Now, before playing what Ron said, this is Donald Trump from right before Ron DeSantis announced his presidential campaign, only seven months after it had started. Trump said this on Truth Social on April 30th of this year. I couldn't care less if Ron DeSantis runs, but the problem is the bill he is about to sign, which allows him to run without resigning from being governor and totally weakens election integrity in Florida. Instead of getting tough and doing what the people want, same day voting, voter ID, proof of citizenship, paper ballots, hand count, etc. This bill guts everything. It will allow dirty voter rolls to get dirtier, weakens transparency and is a total mess. It's simple. All we want is a free and fair election and an honest count. And Trump is referencing the bill in Florida this spring that ultimately allowed Ron DeSantis to run for president without resigning as governor of Florida. And considering that the Ron DeSantis shadow campaign for president began before he was even reelected governor, it's quite clear that the priorities of the people of Florida have been completely ignored. But here is Ron DeSantis on election integrity. Well, Tom, thanks for the question. Thanks for what you guys do at Judicial Watch. It's really, really important. There's a lot of corruption in this government. You guys are doing a great job. What you should do for election integrity is do what we did in Florida. 20 years ago, Florida and elections was a joke. Everybody would laugh at it. Uh, I came in, I removed a couple supervisors from South Florida. We require voter ID universal, no Zuckerbucks no mass mail balloting, and no ballot harvesting. We even have an agency that prosecutes people uh, for violating election laws. The result of that in both 2020 and 2022, we counted millions and millions of votes on election night, produced the results, it was transparent, and everybody was happy. That is not happening throughout this country. But let me tell you this as the nominee. I think it's important. Not every state's where we need it to be. There is ballot harvesting in places like Nevada, all these places. I am not going to fight with one hand tied behind my back. I'm going to have organizations in all the swing states. If they're harvesting, we're harvesting. If they're Zuckerbucks, we're Zuckerbucks. We are going to exploit whatever the rules are. I favor changing the rules to be like Florida and some of the other states that have done a good job. So my number one complaint with Ron DeSantis is unchanged from early 2021. Ron DeSantis, this new hero of the Republican Party, did next to nothing about stolen elections. He started a state board that, of course, answers to him. They're going to investigate everything election related. Don't worry. I've got my own team on it to make sure that my elections are very safe and very secure. And when Ron is not there, then a governor from another party might get to oversee Ron's election board and make sure that the elections are very safe and very secure. Now, if Ron realized that there was no way Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes and he wanted to do something about that, he could have made an example of Florida 
confident in their election system. And he could have called for full forensic audits of the vote in Florida to prove that the system worked in Florida and everyone in Florida was legitimately elected. If he was aligned with Donald Trump, if he was aligned with America first causes, if he understood that half of the country could see that they stole the election in broad daylight and didn't really want to shut up about it, he could have demanded 100% transparency in Florida's elections and showed us the guts of the system, showed us that Florida's elections were safe and were secure, and that the reported results did actually reflect the will and intent of Florida voters. But he didn't do that. He set up a state board. He claims that he fired a couple of people from South Florida, and he claims the proof that the system is fixed is that he had such a big win. But we already talked about his big win before, and we talked about how a Democrat won the mayoral race in Jacksonville, and we talked about how he mocked the non-existence of the red wave, which in Ron DeSantis folklore and Con Inc. mythology is all Donald Trump's fault. Those results from 2022. The quote unquote fact that the red wave did not emerge, that wasn't due to Mitch McConnell and the Republican Party undermining MAGA candidates around the country. That is when they weren't able to rig and steal their primaries as they attempted to do to Kerry Lake in Arizona and with Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. It was all Donald Trump's fault. When they are talking about how the red wave failed to emerge, they are blaming the current state of Republican representation squarely on Donald Trump. The election systems cannot be properly fixed until people understand fully that there was a problem in the first place. And Ron DeSantis has done absolutely nothing to share with Floridians, much less the whole country, how serious these problems actually were. Ron just said, hey, I made things better, just like some of these other states have. Texas, Georgia, those are my pals. Greg Abbott and Brian Kemp, they had big wins. Therefore, Texas and Georgia run solid elections. But Texas and Georgia don't run solid elections. In fact, their elections are dominated by election fraud. These are unavoidable truths that are coming out more and more over time. Ron DeSantis, again, unless there's some hidden op going on in the background, is intentionally covering up the problems with our election system in a nationally televised, quote unquote, debate. That is not a warrior for election integrity and justice and free and fair elections. That is a man who wants to, quote unquote, win a rigged election in this current system. And then he actually says toward the end of his answer that he is prepared to support this system. He's going to exploit whatever the rules are. And we have spent plenty of time on this podcast discussing how not only is it impossible to beat the regime at their own game within their own apparatus, it is actually supporting the continued faith in that election fraud apparatus. Now, to standard issue uniparty right villagers, everything Ron said sounds fine because they don't understand the full scope of our election problems. They don't really want to deal with the fact that we have a usurper and an illegitimate president in place right now doing all these awful fascist Marxist communist things. 
They want to pretend everybody just made a bad decision and this time they'll make a better decision. And if they don't, hey, we're just going to live with it because it was the people's decision after all. People who don't want to look at the problem like the way Ron put that because that makes the problem go away. It makes them think, oh, this guy's got it fixed. That's why he won by so much. But even that thought is incoherent. It admits that the problem exists in greater ways around the country, which further emphasizes the point that Joe Biden isn't a legitimate president and Ron is just simply happy to take it. At the logical end of all these people's candidacy, there remains that problem. The very fact that they are running makes them complicit in the cover-up of the usurpation of this country. It is unavoidable. And while Ron's comms people and political advisors have put that answer together as the best possible response, it is nowhere near satisfactory for anyone who has grappled with the truth of this situation as it exists. Now, one final moment from this debate, and this is where Vivek Ramaswamy tells more truth in about 30 seconds than all the other candidates have told in all the other debate time combined. With all three of my other colleagues on this debate stage, is all three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements. Ron DeSantis, you've been a great governor, but you would have never been one without actually begging Donald Trump for that endorsement. And you attacked him in your Nikki book Hayley. a year ago. Same thing with Chris Christie as a lobbyist, begging them for COVID money for his special interests in New Jersey, prepping him for the debates last time around. These people are now Monday morning quarterbacking some decision he made. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11? That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform? that the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech, that the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment okay. that actually Thank put you. up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person That'll on the it, stage sir. who can Thank say you. these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time and now Monday okay. morning quarterbacking and criticizing him when it's convenient. Governor Christie. And that is why Vivek Ramaswamy commands more attention than the rest of these people combined. If Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis were not promoted 24-7 by mainstream media and the Republican establishment, no one would care about what they're saying at all. Vivek Ramaswamy is the only one who is in touch with the zeitgeist. He's the only one who's in touch with reality. These are, in fact, the things that Americans care about right now. It does matter that the public narrative about J6 was a complete and total lie. It does matter that we were lied to about 9-11. And hey, we're getting lied to about Israel's 9-11 too. And I wonder if maybe we were lied to about World War II's 9-11, whose anniversary we are celebrating today. It matters a great deal that the 2020 election was stolen. And Vivek Ramaswamy is kind of pulling his punch there. 
either because he's taking a slower, softer approach or because he's controlled opposition. And you can decide for yourself which one of those interpretations are correct. He pulled his punch, by the way, because he said that it was stolen by big tech, the 2020 election stolen by big tech. Now, the 2020 election was certainly influenced by big tech. They censored the reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop. They recensored plenty of pro-Trump narratives. They censored the truth about coronavirus. They censored the truth about mail-in voting and ballot harvesting and the drop boxes and the mailboxes that were being stolen by Donald Trump. They censored plenty of election-related information, but that is not how the 2020 election was ultimately stolen. Robert Epstein's work says that big tech stole the election through Google's manipulation of search results and that that accounted for the flip of six or seven million votes. Megyn Kelly, the lead moderator, is one of the people who says the election was stolen from Trump legally. They just couldn't fix it in the courts. So it was legal. They changed those laws outside of the bounds of their constitution, but nobody stopped them. So it was legal. The election was stolen legally or the election was stolen through the legal election processes. But the Democrats are just so much better at exploiting the rules as Ron DeSantis wants to do with the ballot harvesting and the universal mail in balloting and all of that. But all of that ignores the fact that the election was intentionally stolen in a whole range of ways, most of which are attached directly to the election system. We've gone through this many times. The regime controls every part of the process. They can launder voter registries and they base that on false census results. They control who the votes are sent out to so they know where those votes go. And they have ballot harvesting operations that go collect those votes. Thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of extra votes just out there. They know where and they go get them. They control the casting of the votes. They control the counting of the votes. They control the reports of the counts. And they have an entire lawfare system set up to make sure that the votes as they report them cannot be contested in time to stop the illegitimate winners from taking office. There is no amount of exploiting the rules that can solve that problem which means there's no reason to believe that Ron DeSantis or any of the rest of them want to solve that problem. Great job, Vivek, for listing those things, but those things are all safe to mention in normal environments. It's edgy for a nationally televised debate with the stamp of approval of the establishment, but it's not edgy in normal conversations. Don't get me wrong, I'm not upset that he said it, I just wish he had gone all the way. And I'm not sure that Vivek Ramaswamy can do that or wants to do that. I suppose we shall see. But in the meantime, it's fun to at least watch him advance the ball down the field. He was confronted after the debate. This is Dana Bash of CNN. Start with January 6th. Sure. There is no evidence that it is an inside job. It was a fringe conspiracy theory that the Trump appointed FBI director Christopher Wray has said explicitly over and over is just not true. So let me, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to address it. I was an anti-woke crusader leaving the business world. And if you had asked me three years ago, is there some chance January 6th is an inside job? I would have said that was crazy talk. I would say looking at the facts of the video footage that have come out, Dana, it is 
shocking that you still haven't gotten a clear answer of how many federal agents were in the field that day. Look at now the video footage of actually throwing explosives and rubber bullets into what was a peaceful crowd, then releasing to the public what came in response to that. But now look at the video footage that was released. And I'm glad we're talking about it because viewers deserve to look at that footage. Pa Capitol Police literally letting people in who were then now prosecuted, some of whom have gone on to commit suicide because of what the government's doing. That is a case of entrapment. And I think the government has not been transparent about this, which is why I then brought up another case where the government, now 20 years later, with declassified documents, tells us that they lied to us at the time. And so I do think we have a government that's people. consistently lied to its people. But inside Jobs suggests that everybody was who, who attacked the Capitol was well, part of some... that. I didn't say that, but I was saying that there's case, there's entrapment going on. There's entrapment going on, and this looks like a case of entrapment. And if you look at even over what the last day. What do you mean day, by entrapment? Entrapment means that the police no. goaded people to do something otherwise than they otherwise wouldn't have done, and then they arrest them for actually doing it. And you, you don't that, think and, and, it was and, actually the former president who let's, was let's, trying Well, I think to that was the media narrative. Now, look at actually a hard case. We heard him well, I'm going to ask you about a case and see what you think about this, right? You guys said this for a long time about the Gretchen Whitner kidnapping plot. Suddenly gone silent after it comes out at trial that absolutely that was a case of entrapment, which is why two of those people were acquitted. So I'm saying this as somebody who, on the other side of this, as a biotech CEO, somebody who was even anti-woke, but if I was looking at this, I would have said a lot of this is crazy talk. But if you actually get into the details, I think it is startling how much the government has systematically lied. And I think it's both both parties over the course of the last 25 years. But on the, the left used to be better at pointing this out the, and being skeptical of the government, the most, but now it's the right. Which is the most aggressive, offensive attack on the U.S. Capitol and on democracy itself that we have seen in our lifetime and in many, many lifetimes to say without evidence that it was an inside I'm not job saying it without dangerous. evidence. I think that what we're seeing now is the video footage that's come out. I was in a different place before a lot of that evidence came out. But you have to respond to the evidence. What is your response or what is anybody else in CNN's response to the video footage that was released of Capitol Police literally well, just peacefully allowing well, people well, into the Capitol? What we know or is shooting that into 850 people that's, that's, have been convicted but, of crimes. But the reality is many of them were convicted before that information was released. And I'm do glad, you think that former oh, President Trump has there, anything to do with no, no, this? No, because you're bringing up a really good point and your audience and everybody deserves to know the truth about this normally there's a rule in constitutional law it's called the brady rule you have to turn over exculpatory evidence to the other side in this case it wasn't turned over because the doj said congress okay. was sitting up. now none of that is what standard issue villagers are accustomed to hearing vivek ramaswamy is out there breaking the central narrative in public and it's wonderful to see him doing it he is making the Donald Trump case in Donald Trump's absence. And I wish it wasn't necessary, but maybe it is. Maybe it is necessary for someone to make that case through a mouth other than Donald Trump's. A lot of people thought Ron DeSantis would be able to do that, but he simply can't. Vivek is out there doing it, and he is becoming seen as a national political figure because of it. 538, Washington Post and Ipsos ran a poll about who won the debate last night. Ron DeSantis was the leader in that poll at 30%, Nikki Haley at 23%, Christie at 19%, and Ramaswamy at 16%. A lot of people were very upset that Vivek Ramaswamy was mean and said all of those nasty things. 37% of people thought he gave the worst performance. Now, this is the sort of poll where finishing first isn't really an accomplishment. Ron DeSantis finished first in this poll, but only 30% of people thought he finished first in the debate, which means 70% of people thought it was someone else. 
Regardless, Donald Trump is again the winner of the GOP fake primary debate. This is the fourth straight time. Now, hopefully we only need to do this two more times. I mean, hopefully we need to do it zero more times. It would be lovely if all these people just dropped out before the Iowa caucuses in mid-January. But again, I don't think it'll happen. And ultimately, it may be a good and necessary thing for the nation to see these people lose to Donald Trump. And it's been a good and necessary thing for the nation to see who these politicians really are. They're now being vetted in public and all coming up short. I mean, Ron DeSantis basically said that Florida's election systems were okay because everyone was happy. And he means both political parties are satisfied with the system. And yeah, Ron, that's what we're worried about. So that's the upside of them not dropping out. But if they cared about their future or they cared about the country, one would think it would be time. The Wall Street Journal ran a headline last night during the debate reporting on the fact that Ron was asked whether it was time for him to drop out. The headline was question for DeSantis. Is it time to drop out? And now Ron supporters can complain about the media coverage. They can complain about that question. But the fact remains, regardless of their complaints, that is now what people are hearing. Is it time for Ron DeSantis to drop out? Are they really going to buy it if in five weeks, five and a half weeks, they go and rig the Iowa caucuses for Ron DeSantis? Could anyone possibly buy that? I don't think so. But let's put aside the surface level analysis of this and think about what this is going to look like to that uniparty left standard issue villager hanging out at home watching this extremely frustrated with Joe Biden becoming nervous about this global agenda. Maybe they are recognizing what the agenda actually means, or maybe they're just getting the sense that all of these political positions they've fought for, because it seemed like that's what all the smart people were doing based on what everybody knows. Those positions are kind of becoming embarrassing to them now. It actually doesn't seem so smart right now to theorize that maybe men can turn into women. It made sense back when the science was saying this is how it works, but a lot of people don't trust the science the way they used to. They don't trust the experts the way they used to. They're realizing that maybe talking about racism all the time and posting black squares on Instagram really isn't the way to solve racism and destroying everyone's lives and our economy might not be the way to save the earth from the sun. Maybe over the course of the very deadly pandemic, they started realizing that the politicians on their side couldn't be trusted. And they voted for Biden anyway, because they still believed that they should hate Trump. But they're starting to see that things aren't going all that well. And all the rancor, all the tension in our politics didn't go away when Trump went away. The people who told them, don't worry, the adults are back in the room. You can just go back to your life. We've got things under control. Those people don't have anything under control. If you are the member of the uniparty left, the standard issue villager supporting the uniparty left, thinking all of those things and thinking maybe it's time I give these Republicans a chance. Megan Kelly, she kind of seems like she could be my friend. I don't agree with her on a bunch of things, but she could be my friend. What do they see when they tune into that debate? They see four people who just obviously aren't going to be president. They just don't have the presence 
to take on Donald Trump. They're shouting over one another, talking about their own petty issues. Their physicality is terrible. Their body language is terrible. Their facial expressions are terrible. What do these people think? Well, man, I'm sick of these Democrats, this Joe Biden thing. But these people are making me remember why I hate the Republican Party. They don't want Joe Biden, but they can't imagine dealing with any of these people. And the anti-Trump standard issue villagers on the Uniparty right, they watch this and they know the things that Vivek Ramaswamy says is true. And that makes all the rest of these candidates look small and weak and petty, too, because they can't say the things that Vivek is saying. And the people watching know that all those things are true. Now, the Uniparty left standard issue villagers, of course, are going to think Vivek is a conspiracy theorist, or at least they'll try to say that. But deep down, they know that what he's saying is true, too. And I know, I know that there are extreme people who are not going to think any of those things. I understand. I am talking about your average uniparty left standard issue villager. Not all that informed, still addicted to the central narrative, but highly engaged and wants something to support, wants somewhere safe to land. And they are finding out that all of the options are bad. And once again, just like last week, we have Donald Trump, who's not there, who's not drawing attention to himself, who is being persecuted by the illegitimate president's Justice Department, who is being attacked, who never started wars, who was right about a whole lot of things, who actually won the election. That guy's starting to seem just right. And if these debates weren't part of a grander pro-Trump op, they may as well have been because once again, Donald Trump is the big winner in a debate he did not even attend. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. 
Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!